everybody. It's Kai. This is Politics Inside Out, the thing we do trying to figure out the economic slice of the American political situation uh, right now. As you can tell by the title, one of the things we do on this program uh, is go outside the typical sphere uh, of what politics is in this country. We're going way out today. We're going to Dayton, Ohio, Montgomery County, Ohio, where our reporter Lewis Wallace has been for the past, like, what, week or so almost since the election, maybe five, six days. I'm looking around out there uh, and telling us uh, what's going on. Uh, Lewis, uh, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm well. Do me a favor and set the scene for me, would you, for uh, where you are. Dayton, Ohio is is not the Dayton that, that most of us probably know. Right. So Dayton's heyday was probably almost 100 years ago. It used to be the place that produced national cash registers. And uh, it was also a big auto town. And uh, all of that started to decline really in the 60s and 70s and then kind of escalated in the 80s um, with the effects of globalization. So people here saw these thousands and thousands of industrial jobs leaving the region over many decades. Dayton was also a place more recently that was hit really, really, really really hard by the housing crisis uh, and the Great Recession, but in some ways it had already been a bellwether for what was to come um, because many of these effects hit Dayton before they hit the rest of the country in the 2000s. So now what we're looking at is a city where there's a little bit of development happening right in the downtown, you know, new residential stuff. Um, a lot of the neighborhoods are still really devastated and don't have the mm. kind of development or jobs that uh, people want to see in those neighborhoods. And then in the suburbs, there's been quite a bit of economic activity, um, new Construction jobs in the military industry and in the healthcare industry uh, and in education. Talk to me for a second about uh, trade and globalization because obviously that's one of the big things that the president elect talked about. Or how do they see it there? Most people are very, very aware of the fact that these industrial jobs left in part because of globalization, that literally GM took its jobs to Mexico or uh, Delphi took its jobs to China. These things happened and people saw it happening. A lot of that was, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, more recently, we've actually started to see, to some extent, a return of manufacturing in Dayton. A lot of that is small manufacturers. It's a lot more automated. Um, but but people do see, uh, and I think especially working class people, see globalization as one of the causes of their struggles. All right. So let's throw a little bit of tape in here. You talked uh, to uh, the mayor of Dayton, right? Nan Whaley is her name. Uh, and we're just going to roll the tape here and, and let it speak for itself. Go ahead. I want to ask you about job creation because from my time being here in the Dayton area, I know there are a lot of people working on that and coming up working on concrete strategies. Um, what do you think Donald Trump's administration could have to offer to that effort? Well, we'll really have to wait and see. I mean, we're seeing, it's, it's interesting, I think here we're like below the national average regionally for uh, unemployment rates. The difference is they aren't the kind of jobs that folks had 10, 15 years ago. And so what you see is people working um, a lot harder for less wages. And I think there's a big frustration there. That's the mayor of Dayton, Ohio. Nan Whaley is her name. Uh, talking to our reporter, Lewis Wallace, uh, earlier this week. Lewis, you spent time uh, in Ohio at WYSO before you came to Marketplace. What's the difference between back then and now? 
So I think what we see is this weird kind of disconnect in some ways between what we heard on the campaign trail from Donald Trump about bring jobs back, bring jobs back, and the reality that it's not necessarily the unemployment rate or the number of jobs that's affecting people here. It's the type of jobs. So I was talking to Nan Whaley, uh, really, really nearby to what used to be a big Delphi auto manufacturing mm. plant that's now what's called a racino, which is like a horse race casino, and those are part-time, low-wage I'm so, I'm sorry, wait, service a, jobs. A, it's a racino? Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, it's called a racino. Wow. That's what Ohio has uh, has legalized wow. in terms of gambling. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Anyway, go ahead. So uh, so these are, you know, service jobs. And so people with a high school education or less um, can can get a job in Dayton. But the, if they don't have some technical education or, or some sort of other experience, it's hard to get the manufacturing jobs that there actually are. So, again, it's not so much about numbers of jobs as about what kind of jobs these are and the wages. And people have really different takes on how that should be dealt with. Is it raising the minimum wage? Is it, you know, tax cuts to business owners to overall improve the economy and uh, encourage them to raise wages. I could go on about the Mm -hmm. debates. Mm -hmm. Ohio went for Trump. But what's your sense of uh, as voters went into the voting booth? Was it Trump can fix this or the Democrats just haven't given us uh, the answer? And and I'm going to I'm going to play a piece of tape here. It's uh, Katie Geiger, another person you spoke to. um, And we're just going to roll that one. I think he knows, if anybody knows, how he can level the playing field so that American manufacturers can become competitive on our own soil. It's the promise he made, right, Lewis? He promised to bring him back. Do they, do they actually believe he can deliver or was it we want to blow it up? I think there are people who really believe that and who really felt like, oh, finally a candidate who's speaking to us. I heard the same thing about Bernie Sanders. I heard people say this week, you know, I would have voted for Bernie Sanders, but instead I voted for Trump. And then, of course, there's a lot of working class people who found Trump's statements about immigrants, Trump's statements on race in general, uh, on women to be really distasteful. And they, and they didn't cast a vote for Trump on the basis of the issue that they care about, which is the economy. They cast it on other issues. I would even say the same about Katie Geiger. I talked to her for almost two hours. And some of her reasons for voting Trump uh, weren't economic. It was about a fear of crime and terrorism on the rise. She also has a good, stable job. So she's not necessarily, it's a working class job. She's not necessarily somebody who's struggling herself. So there's something of a, of a perception of decline, particularly among white working class voters. That same decline is seen really differently by a lot of people of color. Can't let you go, actually, without talking about that, because uh, Dayton and that whole area are it's multiracial. It's got a lot of poverty, but also uh, a thriving middle class. I mean, it, it, it crosses a lot of those uh, lines. Yeah. And something that we saw was really strong support for Trump in some of the suburbs that are really middle class or upper middle class and mostly white. And so there we see a real removal from sort of the lives that people are living in the city where black people live in a very, very segregated neighborhood in a part of West Dayton where you have to drive really far to even get to a job. And there's not contact between these communities, which goes back to kind of the systemic segregation and racism that started forming into that geographic formation in the the 60s and 70s and has never really been dealt with. Uh, People are really alienated from each other. Hmm. Lewis Wallace, uh, our reporter out in um, Dayton, Ohio, Montgomery County. Uh, One more story coming from you, right? On the air, what, next week? Yep. So there's going to be a piece on poverty in Dayton. There's going to be a piece on uh, immigration and all of the immigrants that Dayton has uh, been bringing in and what a Trump administration might mean and a piece on small business owners. All right. So those are going to be on uh, Marketplace and also the morning show, Marketplace Morning Report with my uh, my friend David Brancaccio. Lewis, thanks very much. Thank you. 
All right, we're back. Uh, it's Politics Inside Out, and we are going to go to the inside part of uh, this conversation today. <laughs> and she's chuckling there, and there. you can hear her on the inside of the Beltway. Andrea Seabrook is our Washington bureau chief. Um, and we're going to get about as insider as we can get, because uh, as I promised yesterday, we're going to take some of your questions. A lot of them were about taxes and about Trump's tax policy and how he's going to do what he says he is going to do. And I thought maybe, Andrea, where we would start is a discussion of how tax policy uh, uh, gets, I guess you could get this, you could say decided, but but how folks uh, who make these decisions wrestle with those decisions when it comes to tax policy. Because say what you will about members of Congress, these folks believe what they say most of the time about taxes and, and how they do this. Absolutely. I mean, taxes, death and taxes, right? right? No certainties in life but those. Everybody sort of knows it. It's a slog every year filing your return. It's money that comes out of your paycheck. But when you get into, especially Congress, when you get into public policy, but specifically the United States Congress, what you're doing is asking to tinker with, you know, the the, the levers of the American system of, you know, collecting money and paying it out of the Treasury, spending money through the government. And that means you have to be a certain kind of like nerd, not to be a jerk. <laughs> like you have to be kind of a, you know, like there are certainly people who go into politics for the glory, quote unquote. But, you know, it, the, the Paul Ryans of the world, you know, the Speaker of the House, um, he lives for this stuff. He lives for the levers and the percentages and the micro, the micro look at this kind of thing. And so when Donald Trump, I think we said this yesterday, when Donald Trump went to craft his tax plan, he went straight to Paul Ryan yeah. and got a lot of his details from Paul Ryan. So let's go actually to some of the specifics. And, and here's a question. Uh, the Twitter handle is deep underscore foreboding, which probably tells you where the question's going. And the basic question is, why are we financing cuts for millionaires and billionaires? Let me frame that. Most of the benefits under the Trump tax cut plan will go to the upper tier of the income spectrum. So, Andrea, talk to me about why Republicans believe cutting taxes on the wealthy is generally good for the overall economy. Because Republicans believe cutting taxes is good for the overall economy and the wealthy pay a huge amount of those taxes. Anyone listening may land on one side or the other of this debate, but there's a real philosophical question here. Should people across the spectrum be taxed at more or less the same rate or at least, you know, close to each other at mm -hmm. more or less the same rate? Or should there be some kind of system within the tax rate where people who make a lot more money get taxed a much higher percentage of that money so that they end up paying a lot more in taxes, percentage-wise even, than somebody who makes middle or less or, you know, anywhere else on the spectrum? Right now, the current system, which has been crafted over you know, 100,000 nips and tucks, uh, mm -hmm. making it ridiculous. No one disagrees with that. It has seven tax brackets. Donald Trump would like to, and Speaker Ryan, would yeah. like to collapse that down to three different levels, the top being 33%, which is significantly lower than the top bracket now, which means that it skews the new system or it pushes the new system towards the sort of Republican ideal that everyone should be able to more or less keep what they make. That's the way they would see it. And so when you when you say, yeah, yeah, OK, if you make millions, millions of dollars, your tax cut is going to equal a million dollars. It sounds amazing. I'd love a tax cut of a million dollars. <laughs> right. But I don't pay millions and millions of dollars in taxes either. And so my tax cut is likely to be much less. And the historical reference here, of course, is trickle down economic 
economics from those of yes. you old enough to remember the Reagan administration. When Reagan came into office, he said, we're going to cut this money, these tax rates up at the top. People at the top will spend more money and that will trickle down through the rest of the economy. It, you can and have. You, yeah. Yeah. And you, you, economists will debate all day, depending on where they fall on the spectrum, um, uh, how that works. Um, and most and actually most moderate economists yeah. have come to say, like, the way that it was at least positioned during the Reagan years really doesn't work as well as they would have liked. And you remember Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail called his tax plan trumped up trickle down mm-hmm. economics, mm-hmm. you know, but that's not to say that putting money in people's pockets doesn't stimulate the economy. Almost everyone believes that is true as well. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you know, there's some middle line there. Right. There, there is another part of this uh a whole tax break and tax nip and tuck, as you say. And and it goes to this thing that uh, certainly I have and others have talked about a trillion dollar infrastructure plan from the uh, uh, Trump administration. I should be clear here and I should go back and correct the record. It's not like he's going to spend a trillion dollars worth of the government's money, right? He's going to spend about $150 billion in tax credits and allowances for private companies to do this. So when you manipulate the tax code, and I say that in the in the, in the the non-pejorative sense, right, because that's what we do. Yeah. When you manipulate the tax code like this, you can you can uh, uh, encourage behaviors and you can, in theory, maximize investment other ways. Yes. And, you know, in some ways, it's very, very simple. When you look at it from the government's point of view, there's a ledger. There's a black side and there's a right side. You take in the amount of money that you put in the black side. And when you spend more than that, you go into the red. That's literally what the red is for, right? It's, you know, old-fashioned, you know, bank. <laughs> it shows up red, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, the thing is that we, we have developed over, and this is the long view, but we've developed over the last, you know, couple hundred years a whole entire theory of, of really behavior, how people act when certain things are expensive and other things aren't. And so we talk about um, stimulating the economy. We talk about getting people, you know, to spend money versus getting people to save money. All of that is based on this big theory. And sometimes, most of the time, that seems to work. And sometimes it spins out and nobody really knows, Mm -hmm. or at least, I mean, maybe you can say better than I, you're the economics host and I'm just like the Washington person. But like, (laughs) it seems like sometimes, you know, in the case of like stagflation and all this stuff, like things go out awry and nobody quite knows. So so the whole idea is, yes, if we cut your taxes, you're going to spend more, the economy will get better. If we make it cost more to be, say, single than be married through the tax code, maybe more people will have the incentive to get married. Really, all of that is kind of theoretical, though. Right, right. Uh, All right, so one more, uh, and then we're going to let you boogie. Uh, And it goes uh, to taxes that we pay and how they are used. It's about the economics of privatizing Medicare and Social Security, which Paul Ryan is in favor of. Those are taxes that we pay to the system, and and the Speaker of the House wants to make that a non-governmental function. Is it, first of all, going to come up this time uh, in the 100 days, do you think? Oh, I doubt in the first 100 days. That Hmm. is a sticky wicket, Hmm. (laughs) to use a really archaic (laughs) term. But like, yeah, right. Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, these so-called entitlement programs, money that automatically comes out of the budget to fund these things, you don't mess with that. And when you do, it's at your own peril. And I don't care what 
party you're in. Um, that is, especially when a, a huge percentage of the modern electorate are people who are already drawing on Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Yeah. You can change the date so that only people under a certain age who pay into Social Security, that will end up in a private fund and blah, blah, blah. But you remember <laughs> that George W. Bush tried to do this, yep. and he, for a good amount of time, had a Republican House, Senate, and White House, and was not able to do it. It's just so difficult to undo something that people really rely on. I mean, it reminds yeah. me of when Obamacare was being passed or, you know, and Democrats had the the White House and the and the House and the Senate and and people who were opposed to it said, you know, take your government hands off my Medicare. Right. It's like right. It, there's a fundamental lack of understanding that these things can be tinkered with or should be tinkered with and you have to be careful. All right, we have done literally the inside and the outside today of politics. Lewis Wallace in Dayton, Ohio. Andrea Seabrook inside the Beltway in Washington, D.C. More questions uh, tomorrow, uh, provided you get them to us on our Twitter feed. You can hit me at Radio Babe. Lewis is at Lewis Pants, by the way. You can get, no, did I say me at Radio Babe? I might be a Radio Babe. I could be. I don't know. Andrea Seabrook is at Radio Babe. Andrea Seabrook is at Radio Babe. Lewis Wallace is at Lewis Pants. I'm at Kai Rizdahl. You can get the show at Marketplace. Um, We'll see you tomorrow. I'm going outside. All right, bye. Bye. This is APM.